Joan and Stephanie uh, just brought the house down, right? Amen? Very cool stuff, man. You got some hymns this morning. Woo! All right, man. Good to see you guys. Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing well? New city? Good, good. Got some new faces here. Good to see you all, man. My name is Casey, one of the folks serving alongside you all as pastor. Uh, good to see everybody this morning. We are uh, currently in the second installment of our uh, series called What Did Jesus Meme? Last week, uh, we talked about uh, you know, some heavy stuff, right? We talked about, some, uh, talked about murder in your heart and that kind of thing and all the things that Jesus came out in his first public ministry sermon and, and just laid down some, some basic truth bombs. Man, it was awesome. Great stuff that he did, and he continues to do that. We'll talk about that this week. Um, a little clarification uh, for some of us. We're still kind of wondering what a meme is, so we're going to uh, go through a couple of memes. But I do want to announce last week's winner. Uh, it was Aiden Little came up with our... Uh, I didn't know that. We didn't have anybody put their things up. But check this out. It says, uh, I'm the son of God. I walked on water and died for all humans, and yet Chuck Norris is worshipped, right? Right, that's pretty cool. Way to get good job, Aiden. Now, this week's, if you guys got your uh, blank uh, index cards, if you guys want to do uh, another one, that's what we're going to do one for this. So uh, we're going to, if you will, put a meme together. If you want to put your name on it, you can. We just found out by accident it was, it was Aiden. But uh, those, are, those are fun. Those are some somewhat thought-provoking thought as well. Got a couple more memes for you I want to share with you. Uh, so you don't believe in Jesus, but celebrate Christmas and want gifts. Right? Those are pretty funny. Uh, this is kind of one of my favorites. I don't know why, but I don't even know what it halfway means. But it says, Peter, just focus your chakra on the bottom of your feet. Right? That's kind of a, kind of a fun one. Um, and this is actually, I, I lied on that one. I didn't mean to lie, but I did. This is actually my favorite. Well, time to see who all shared that one post so I know who to bless. <laughs> I ever, yeah. It's kind of fun. But here's the thing about some of these. Check out this, this image of Jesus here. Now, we, we don't really know what, not that one. I'm sorry. Uh, but that's all right. Just go back to that first one there. So I'll show you that one in a second. Go back one, um, or that one's fine. But, but most of the images that we have of Jesus are uh, of Jesus being long-haired, uh, fairly pale skin. Uh, a lot of them are portrayed as bl- uh, you know having blue eyes, that kind of thing. Uh, one of the things that I want people to do is I want people to see the real Jesus. Now, we don't know what he actually looked like, um, but we know he probably didn't look like the Hollywood type of uh, portrayals that we have, the long hair, the model look, the pale face, the, those kinds of things. There was an artist portrayal did, some, did a, a, a portrayal of the culture of the day, the people of the day. Some, they even, I understand, took some DNA and that kind of thing and just try to figure some of this out. And they, he did an artist rendition of what Jesus possibly looked like. It was actually something more along this line. The culture of the day had short hair, not long hair, uh, and I tell you those things only because I want people to see Jesus for who he actually is. We don't know what he actually looked like. Uh, when we were uh, gutting out the uh, Loma Vista campus, there were people that were freaking out because we were throwing away pictures of Jesus. Like, Can you do that? You know, and there were, the, of course, the long-haired, blue-eyed, pale face type of thing. It's like, it had nothing to do with Jesus. It, it was just an artist's portrayal. And so we tend to look a little bit 
at those kinds of things. But what Isaiah 53 verse 2, a prediction about the coming Messiah, listen to what it actually says. And I've heard pastors, I've heard preachers say things like, man, he must have been a good-looking guy. Man, he must have been a charismatic guy. But look what the scripture actually has to say. It says, he grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. So in other words, it, it was nothing special or outwardly about Jesus, not, nothing that would, be, that would attract us to him and make him go, wow, that guy's a good-looking guy, I've heard, and I've heard people preach those guys. He must have been very charismatic, must have been very good-looking, must have been one of those guys that just could draw an audience and things like that. No, man, he was God in the flesh who came and didn't have anything special that would draw us to him except that he was God. There was something about Jesus that people that were nothing like God wanted to be with him, amen? And so that's why I tell people that Jesus is in us and we are in Jesus. Those who are nothing like God ought to want to be with us as, as well. And so today we're going to go through the, uh, continue in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about marriage and Jesus talks about adultery and all those different things. And so I want to kind of show you a a few of the memes that I found about marriage. And these are hysterical, but it says uh, one of them, during labor, the pain is so great that a woman can almost imagine what a man feels when he has a fever. It's about time, right, fellas? Am I right? Um, this one's funny. When someone is murdered, the police investigate the, fi- the spouse first, and that tells you everything you need to know about marriage. That's kind of what the world has to say a lot of times. Uh, this is kind of my favorite because Judy would like be ribbing me if I was in the audience. I asked my hub- husband to pick up six potatoes. That's great. That would be me. All right, you got it. You didn't tell me what kind, what size, or anything like that. Uh, finally, it says, hon... I know where we keep everything in the house. I live here, remember? Said no husband ever. Right? Who's that? Did I hear an amen in here? That's, that's fantastic. So let's get into the scripture that Jesus was talking about. Keep in mind, Jesus is coming on to the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's his very first public ministry sermon. And there are some things that are said in, in, in Jesus' sermon that are absolutely, without a doubt, no doubt about it, true. And I'm going to ask you guys to go into some of the scriptures yourselves regarding marriage. We'll talk about that. But I want to also talk a little bit about who Jesus is. Remember, I showed you his picture. Now I'm going to go into some of his character in the message today. But listen to what he said in Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. Jesus says, keep in mind, he's starting to establish his own authority. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Dad, God, these men ain't playing around, right? For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
Man, and that's the scripture kind of that we're going we're gonna to look at today. And it's very easy for me to, to take those things and, hey, this is what Jesus said. Drop the mic. You're done. Go on and be, and, and be in the guilt and that kind of thing. Because here's the deal. I want you to understand this. Everyone in here has committed adultery. If you were going to believe Jesus. I mean, I mean, this is the thing where we've got to understand everybody here has lusted for somebody, has, other than their spouse, that kind of thing, has looked at somebody a little too long, it's like, wow, man, you know. And because here, like, he is addressing folks in the, in, like, Pharisees that were divorced and remarried more often than the unbelievers and pagans were at the time. This is the culture that he steps into, and people aren't taking like marriage very seriously at all. And they're looking at things, and, and, and the Pharisees would go think, and this is, culturally speaking, would say things like, "Wow, man, you know, uh, look at this, look at this woman. I sure can't commit adultery, but boy, I would like to." And then what they would do is they would go and they would find a, a, a prettier spouse or whatever they somebody that was they. They would trade their spouse in for a younger model and they would get other Pharisees to agree with it. And in essence, they would give that woman a written letter of divorce. And Jesus addressed this with those folks later on. He said he did that. God allowed those kinds of things for the hardness of their hearts, right? So he's addressing adultery. He's addressing divorce. He's addressing marriage as something that is something in the heart. And it's very easy for me to start going into the, the challenges to the men to be the husbands they're supposed to be, to challenge the women to be the wives that they're supposed to be. And, and, and yet what I'm really led in this week is to help you understand the character of Jesus, the character of God. Here's what I'd like to do, though. On your own, what I would like for you to do is to read these scriptures, write these down, and read these on your own this week about marriage. Go into Genesis 2, read the whole chapter. Proverbs 12, 4. Proverbs 18, 22. I can repeat these if you need. You want me to repeat those already? Start from the top. Genesis 2. Proverbs 12, 4. Proverbs 18, 22. Proverbs 31. By the way, if anybody thinks that God doesn't care about women, read Proverbs 31. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 22 through, through 33. Deuteronomy 24, verse 5. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 16. Colossians 3, 18 through 19. There's a lot about marriage in, in here, isn't there? Hebrews 13, 4 through 7. In Mark 10, 6 through 9. I want you to take those. I want you to study those this week. I want you to go and research and do all those kinds of things. And I want you to, yes, be challenged, 
to make our marriages the best that they can possibly be, the most God-honoring they can possibly be, absolutely. But here's what we can fall into. There are a lot of people that haven't done this. There are a lot of people that come to our churches broken. There are a lot of people that are, their marriages are a wreck. There are a lot of people that come in that have had divorce some multiple times, things like that. What do we do with that, right? Like, how do we approach that when those kinds of things have happened? Am I saying I'm an advocate for divorce? Absolutely not. Scripture says God hates divorce. But the fact of the matter is there are people that have come in and they have sinned in all kinds of ways. But keeping in, in, in when it comes to marriage, but keep in mind what I said before. We are all sinners in this area when it comes to things like adultery, when it comes to things like those kinds of things where we haven't done what we're supposed to do. And I'm not trying to uh, cause undue emotion, but what I want you to do is see how Jesus dealt with this. Abs- like, like actually dealt with, with these kinds of things. Keep in mind, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1 14, the word became flesh and took his residence up among us. And we observed his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father. Listen to this. This is very important. Full of grace and truth. There is an incredible balance that Jesus, the son of God, who I mean, frankly, he could lay it down for all of us and accuse us and all those kinds. He doesn't do that. He comes full of a balance of grace and a balance of truth. There is a balance that Jesus dealt with. And sometimes my tendency is to go down the whole truth path and say, we've got to be obedient. We absolutely do. We've got to show God we love him by being obedient and show you the truths and do all those kinds of things. And I've had the word of God, I've had the spirit of God, and I have a person and several people of God who have helped me through this to say, dude, don't ever forget that God's grace surpasses everything we could ever do. Amen? This is powerful. Listen to this. He is full of grace and truth. And I've run into too many people recently that have said, I can't come to God because of the things I've done. I can't even forgive myself. And yet, here's, how could I ask God to forgive me? Guys, and I'm telling you, it, like God's grace is more than anything we could ever do. Divorce, adultery, man, you name it. Listen to what he says. Indeed, we have all received, in John 1, 16, 17 we have all received grace after grace from his fullness his fullness of grace and truth this fullness of grace upon grace before the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ amen like we yeah we know what the law is yeah we know what the standard of perfection is we also know that we have all fallen short of God's glorious ideal And this grace that comes through Jesus, guys, man, I'm telling you, there is a powerful, much more powerful thing for us that can rest in the grace of God than if we sit down and beat ourselves up, man. I'm tired of my brothers and sisters not being willing to take up and fight for this cause because of the shame and of the guilt that they have rendered upon themselves because they don't recognize this incredible grace that God comes with when he comes in the flesh and makes his dwelling among us. There's truth, absolutely. There's word, absolutely. There's perfection, absolutely. There's a standard, absolutely. But there is such grace, knowing as we stumble and bumble and 
and fall from time to time and, and continue to walk in the presence of the Lord, man. Rest in his grace. That's the encouragement for today. And man, I, like how did, like for some of us, we're like, man, are you sure about this? Because man, I've been talking about grown up in church where, man, I'm condemned. I'm grown up in church where I've done this or I've heard things about, you know, if you sin one time, man, you're just going to hell and all that. Whatever it is, whatever lies we've, we've heard, listen to what Jesus actually did when a woman was caught in adultery. Listen to what he, how he treated her. And also, like, keep in mind how a woman, if you, if you ever want to read the woman at the well in John 4, look that up too. Write that down on your on your, look at how Jesus treated her, who had, a woman who had been divorced and remarried several times. But listen to this woman who is caught in adultery. In the law of the day, in the law of the, 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 you know, the, the, the Old Testament, the, how they administered the law, anyone that was caught in adultery, especially a woman, was stripped naked, brought in front of the public, and stoned to death. That's condemnation, right? That's where people, yeah, that's where people tend to grow. But listen to this. John 8, starting in verse 2. At dawn, he, Jesus, went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Imagine, like, probably stripped naked, probably beaten already. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Keep in mind what Jesus has done up until this time when he was in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. You've heard it said on and on and on, but I tell you. And so they're testing him. They asked him to, this to, to trap him in order that they may have evidence to accuse him. And Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted, I don't want, you know, nobody knows what he wrote. I've had people, you know, I've seen commentaries say he could have written this, could have written that, doesn't really, but we don't know. But whatever it is, this dude was not affected by all these religious authority figures of the day. He just kind of sat down. You know, this is an amazing thing. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and he said to them the one without sin among you must should be the one to throw a stone at her then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground he was not affected or intimidated in any way by the religious authority of the day this is an amazing thing you know if, if, if we were to this was to happen today Jesus would say, drop that bomb on those guys. Some people know this as he who has cast the, who has not sinned can cast the first stone. I mean, it would be like, whoa, man, that was like truly a, a thug life type of a, a meme you would get. Your glasses would come down, right? But like all of a sudden you see some Snoop Dogg playing and things. You know what I'm saying? Like this is, he is not playing around, man. This is, this is truly a guy who is not scared at all and drops a bomb on these guys. Like, oh, yeah? You guys who are so quick to kill this woman, if you've never sinned, you can cast the first stone. You can throw the first stone. If you've never sinned, you can actually kill this woman, right? And then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Can you imagine some of the guys just shaking their heads, man? God, what did he just do? 
Only he was left, Jesus, with the woman in the center. Now listen to this. Folks that have sinned in any way in this adultery or marriage or divorce, listen to this. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go and from now on, do not sin anymore. Wow. Grace on one side, I don't condemn you. I'm not going to let these guys do this, this stuff that they were going to do to you. That's not, that's not me. I know for some of us, we've been beat up. We've been shown that we're in sin and those kinds of things. And there's this, there's this ball drop after that, that, that people want to condemn what you The other side of that is that, oh, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're a good person. And, you know, you can keep on sinning and things. I, I get, like, that's just whacked out as, as the other side where you're just getting accused and hammered by, by the truths of God and in essence being abused by those things. That's what Jesus came and fought against. But when Jesus comes and he says, hey, I'm not going to condemn you. And he showed her that grace. He also shared with her the truth that don't do this anymore. Amen? So it doesn't matter, guys. Up until this point, no matter what we have done, it doesn't mean that we have to keep doing it. I had a friend of mine one time when I was struggling with a particular thing in my life. And, and I'm like, he goes, what would it look like if you didn't have I was struggling with temper and things. He said, what would it look like if you didn't have to be angry? Wow. What would it look like if you didn't have to commit adultery in your heart? What would it look like if you didn't have to live with guilt over a divorce? What would it look like if you had Jesus actually come to you and say, you don't have to live with that anymore? What would it look like, my brothers and sisters, if you didn't have to be shamed because that's a lie from the devil? It doesn't mean that it gives us a right to keep on doing all we're doing because we're forgiven because there's grace. But what would it look like if we said, you know what? I know what I've done. And I know what Jesus has done. And I don't have to live in this anymore. What would it look like if I didn't have to be condemned by anybody what would it look like if I lived in the grace that Jesus so perfectly shown this woman because we're all in this boat aren't we in a lot of ways as it might be something we're struggling with it might be you know the easy ones are pornography and addictions and things like that but sometimes it's things like gluttony sometimes it's things like impure thoughts and anger and frustrations and things like that, critical spirits. Sometimes it's judging people. Sometimes it's those kinds of, like all those kinds of things that we're suffering with and we're afflicted by. And we're listening to someone who is condemning us, not the one who has come to save us and show us the grace and help us live by the truth. Amen.
So my question is, and I want us to sit in this for just a little bit as Joan sings again, break every chain, every chain. As we start thinking about and asking God for for him to feel whatever it is that's holding us back from full victory in him and whatever it is that's continuing to hold us back from from living the life that man that, that he wants for us because we man we've got a lot of work to do and if we're shackled and paralyzed by guilt and shame of things that we've done and not seeing the grace that God has given us and not willing to accept the grace that Jesus came and died for and rose from the dead to show that he was the only way to deal with this stuff. Guys, we're going to be shackled in our evangelism. We're going to be shackled in our mission. We're going to be shackled in a lot of things. So as we listen to this song, thank you, Joan, for for leading us in this. I want us to just take a few minutes and just rest and thank the Lord that he, man, will not condemn you. And some of us need to be asking, Lord, what do I need to do now? What does it mean to not sin anymore? Where do I, where do I start? And ask him. And if you've got questions, man, we've got Elder Dave in the back. We have Elder Mitch right here too. We've got me here. If you've got questions, man, like I've, I've got something I got to give to God, man, let it be known. Ladies, if you need to talk to another lady, we got several ladies that be willing to lend an ear because there are some things that we need to give God, give to, to Jesus and just say, God, this is yours now. Let him shower you with that grace and shower you with that truth. Father, we love you. And we thank you for sending your son so that there is no condemnation anymore. You, you even said it in John 3 when it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But it also says that he didn't come to condemn the world because the world was condemned already. Without you, God, without your grace, without your truth, we are sunk. We are toast. So God, I ask that you, uh, man, wash over us this morning. Wash over us with your grace. Wash over us with your no condemnation, man. Wash over us, God, with the things you've laid on us. Yeah, we need to change, absolutely. Give us that strength to rest in you your Holy Spirit just come over us, God. And may we accept that grace, accept that gift, and rest in that. We thank you, Father. In your Son's name we pray. Everybody said